Section 7 of Tales of Unrest, First Part of the Idiots. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Tales of Unrest by Joseph Conrad. The Idiots. We were driving along the road from Tregear to Curvanda. We passed at a smart trot between the hedges topping an earth wall on each side of the road. Then at the foot of the steep ascent before Plowmar, the horse dropped into a walk, and the driver jumped down heavily from the box. He flicked his whip and climbed the incline, stepping clumsily uphill by the side of the carriage, one hand on the footboard, his eyes on the ground. After a while he lifted his head, pointed up the road with the end of the whip, and said, The idiot! The sun was shining violently upon the undulating surface of the land. The rises were topped by clumps of meager trees, with their branches showing high on the sky as if they had been perched upon stilts. The small fields, cut up by hedges and stone walls that zigzagged over the slopes, lay in rectangular patches of vivid greens and yellows, resembling the unskillful daubs of a naive picture. And the landscape was divided in two by the white streak of a road stretching in long loops far away, like a river of dust crawling out of the hills on its way to the sea. "'Here he is,' said the driver again. In the long grass bordering the road, a face glided past the carriage at the level of the wheels as we drove slowly by. The imbecile face was red, and the bullet head with close-cropped hair seemed to lie alone, its chin in the dust. The body was lost in the bushes growing thick along the bottom of the deep ditch. It was a boy's face. He might have been sixteen, judging from the size, perhaps less, perhaps more. Such creatures are forgotten by time, and live untouched by years till death gathers them up into its compassionate bosom, the faithful dead that never forgets in the press of work the most insignificant of its children. Ah, there's another, said the man, with a certain satisfaction in his tone, as if he had caught sight of something expected. There was another. That one stood nearly in the middle of the road in the blaze of sunshine at the end of his own short shadow, and he stood with hands pushed into the opposite sleeves of his long coat, his head sunk between the shoulders, all hunched up in the flood of heat. From a distance he had the aspect of one suffering from intense cold. Those are twins, explained the driver. The idiot shuffled two paces out of the way and looked at us over his shoulder when we brushed past him. The glance was unseeing and staring, a fascinated glance but he did not turn to look after us. Probably the image passed before the eyes without leaving any trace on the misshapen brain of the creature. When we had topped the ascent, I looked over the hood. He stood in the road, just where we had left him. The driver clambered into his seat, clicked his tongue, and went downhill. The brake squeaked horribly from time to time. At the foot, he eased off the noisy mechanism and said, turning half round on his box, We shall see more of them by and by. More idiots? How many of them are there, then? I asked. There's four of them. Children of a farmer near Plowmar here. The parents are dead now, he added after a while. The grandmother lives on the farm. In the daytime they knock about on this road, and they come home at dusk along with the cattle. It's a good farm. We saw the other two, a boy and a girl, as the driver said. They were dressed exactly alike, in shapeless garments with petticoat-like skirts. The imperfect thing that lived within them moved those beings to howl at us from the top of the bank, where they sprawled amongst the tough stalks of firs. Their crop-blacked heads stuck out from the bright yellow wall of countless small blossoms. The faces were purple with the strain of yelling. The voices sounded blank and cranked like a mechanical imitation of old people's voices, and suddenly ceased when we turned into a lane. 
I saw them many times in my wandering about the country. They lived on that road, drifting along its length here and there, according to the inexplicable impulses of their monstrous darkness. They were an offense to the sunshine, a reproach to empty heaven, a blight on the concentrated and purposeful vigor of the wild landscape. In time, the story of their parents shaped itself before me out of the listless answers to my questions, out of the indifferent words heard in wayside inns or on the very road those idiots haunted. Some of it was told by an emaciated and sceptical old fellow with a tremendous whip, while we trudged together over the sands by the side of a two-wheeled cart loaded with dripping seaweed. Then at other times other people confirmed and completed the story, till it stood at last before me, a tale formidable and simple, as they always are, those disclosures of obscure trials endured by ignorant hearts. When he returned from his military service, Jean-Pierre Bacadou found the old people very much aged. He remarked with pain that the work of the farm was not satisfactorily done. The father had not the energy of old days. The hands did not feel over them the eye of the master. Jean-Pierre noted with sorrow that the heap of manure in the courtyard before the only entrance to the house was not so large as it should have been. The fences were out of repair, and the cattle suffered from neglect. At home the mother was practically bedridden, and the girls chattered loudly in the big kitchen, unrebuked, from morning to night. He said to himself, we must change all this. He talked the matter over with his father one evening when the rays of the setting sun entering the yard between the outhouses ruled the heavy shadows with luminous streaks. Over the manure heap floated a mist, opal-tinted and odorous, and the marauding hens would stop in their scratching to examine with a sudden glance of their round eye the two men, both lean and tall, talking in hoarse tones. The old man, all twisted with rheumatism and bowed with years of work, the younger, bony and straight, spoke without gestures in the indifferent manner of peasants, grave and slow. But before the sun had set, the father had submitted to the sensible arguments of the son. It is not for me that I am speaking, insisted Jean-Pierre. It is for the land. It's a pity to see it badly used. I am not impatient for myself. The old fellow nodded over his stick. I dare say, I dare say, he muttered. You may be right. Do what you like. It's the mother that will be pleased. The mother was pleased with her daughter-in-law. Jean-Pierre brought the two-wheeled spring cart with a rush into the yard. The gray horse galloped clumsily, and the bride and bridegroom, sitting side by side, were jerked backwards and forwards by the up-and-down motion of the shafts, in a manner regular and brusque. On the road the distant wedding guests straggled in pairs and groups. The men advanced with heavy steps, swinging their idle arms. They were clad in town clothes, jackets cut with clumsy smartness, hard black hats, immense boots, polished highly. Their women all in simple black, with white caps and shawls of faded tints folded triangularly on the back, strolled lightly by their side. In front the violin sang a strident tune, and the beniou snored and hummed, while the player capered solemnly, lifting high his heavy clogs. The somber procession drifted in and out of the narrow lanes, through sunshine and through shade, between fields and hedgerows, scaring the little birds that darted away in troops right and left. In the yard of Bacadou's farm, the dark ribbon wound itself into a mass of men and women pushing at the door with cries and greetings. The wedding dinner was remembered for months. It was a splendid feast in the orchard. Farmers of considerable means and excellent repute were to be found sleeping in ditches all along the road to Tregear, even as late as the afternoon of the next day. All the countryside anticipated in the happiness of Jean-Pierre. He remained sober, and together with his quiet wife, kept out of the way, letting father and mother reap their due of honor and thanks. 
but the next day he took hold strongly and the old folks felt a shadow precursor of the grave fall upon them finally the world is to the young when the twins were born there was plenty of room in the house for the mother of jean pierre had gone away to dwell under a heavy stone in the cemetery of plaumar on that day for the first time since his son's marriage the elder bacadou neglected by the cackling lot of strange women who thronged the kitchen left in the morning his seat under the mantle of the fireplace and went into the empty cowhouse shaking his white locks dismally grandsons were all very well but he wanted his soup at midday when shown the babies he stared at them with a fixed gaze and muttered something like it's too much whether he meant too much happiness or simply commented upon the number of his descendants it is impossible to say he looked offended as far as his old wooden face could express anything and for days afterwards could be seen almost any time of the day sitting at the gate with his nose over his knees a pipe between his gums and gathered up into a kind of raging concentrated sulkiness once he spoke to his son alluding to the newcomers with a groan they will quarrel over the land don't be bothered about that father answered jean pierre stolidly and passed bent double towing a recalcitrant cow over his shoulder he was happy and so was susan his wife it was not an ethereal joy welcoming new souls to struggle perchance to victory in fourteen years both boys would be a help and later on jean pierre pictured two big sons striding over the land from patch to patch wringing tribute from the earth beloved and fruitful susan was happy too for she did not want to be spoken of as the unfortunate woman and now she had children no one could call her that both herself and her husband had seen something of the larger world he during the time of his service while she had spent a year or so in paris with a breton family but had been too homesick to remain longer away from the hilly and green country set in a barren circle of rocks and sands where she had been born she thought that one of the boys ought perhaps to be a priest but said nothing to her husband who was a republican and hated the crows as he called the ministers of religion the christening was a splendid affair all the commune came to it for the bacadous were rich and influential and now and then did not mind the expense the grandfather had a new coat some months afterwards one evening when the kitchen had been swept and the door locked jean pierre looking at the cot asked his wife what's the matter with those children and as if these words spoken calmly had been the portent of misfortune she answered with a loud wail that must have been heard across the yard in the pigsty for the pigs the bacadous had the finest pigs in the country stirred and grunted complainingly in the night the husband went on grinding his bread and butter slowly gazing at the wall the soup plate smoking under his chin he had returned late from the market where he had overheard not for the first time whispers behind his back he revolved the words in his mind as he drove back simple both of them never any use well maybe maybe one must see would ask his wife this was her answer he felt like a blow on his chest but said only go draw me some cider i am thirsty she went out moaning an empty jug in her hand then he arose took up the light and moved slowly towards the cradle they slept he looked at them sideways finished his mouthful there went back heavily and sat down before his plate when his wife returned he never looked up but swallowed a couple spoonfuls noisily and remarked in a dull manner when they sleep they are like other people's children she sat down suddenly on a stool nearby and shook with a silent tempest of sobs unable to speak 
he finished his meal and remained idly thrown back in his chair his eyes lost amongst the black rafters of the ceiling before him the tallow candle flared red and straight sending up a slender thread of smoke the light lay on the rough sunburnt skin of his throat the sunk cheeks were like patches of darkness and his aspect was mournfully stolid as if he had ruminated with difficulty endless ideas then he said deliberately we must see consult people don't cry they won't all be like that surely we must sleep now after the third child also a boy was born jean-pierre went about his work with tense hopefulness his lips seemed more narrow more tightly compressed than before as if for fear of letting the earth he tilled hear the voice of hope that murmured within his breast he watched the child stepping up to the cot with a heavy clang of sabots on the stone floor and glanced in along his shoulder with that indifference which is like a deformity of peasant humanity like the earth they master and serve those men slow of eye and speech do not show the inner fire so that at last it becomes a question with them as with the earth what there is in the core heat violence a force mysterious and terrible or nothing but a clod a mass fertile and inert cold and unfeeling ready to bear a crop of plants that sustain life or give death the mother watched with other eyes listened with otherwise expectant ears under the high hanging shelves supporting great sides of bacon overhead her body was busy by the great fireplace attentive to the pot swinging on iron gallows scrubbing the long table where the field hands would sit down directly to their evening meal her mind remained by the cradle night and day on the watch to hope and suffer that child like the other two never smiled never stretched its hands to her never spoke never had a glance of recognition for her in its big black eyes which could only stare fixedly at any glitter but failed hopelessly to follow the brilliance of a sun-ray slipping slowly along the floor when the men were at work she spent long days between her three idiot children and the childish grandfather who sat grim angular and immovable with his feet near the warm ashes of the fire the feeble old man seemed to suspect that there was something wrong with his grandsons only once moved either by affection or by the sense of properties he attempted to nurse the youngest he took the boy up from the floor clicked his tongue at him and essayed a shaky gallop of his bony knees then he looked closely with his misty eyes at the child's face and deposited him down gently on the floor again and he sat his lean shanks crossed nodding at the steam escaping from the cooking pot with a gaze senile and worried then mute affliction dwelt in bacadou's farmhouse sharing the breath and the bread of its inhabitants and the priest of the ploughmar parish had great cause for congratulation he called upon the rich landowner the marquis de chavanes on purpose to deliver himself with joyful unction of solemn platitudes about the inscrutable ways of providence in the vast dimness of the curtain drawing-room the little man resembling a black bolster leaned towards a couch his hat on his knees and gesticulated with a fat hand at the elongated gracefully flowing lines of the clear parisian toilette from which the half-amused half-bored marquis listened with gracious languor he was exulting and humble proud and awed the impossible had come to pass jean-pierre bacadou the enraged republican farmer had been to mass last sunday he had proposed to entertain the visiting priest at the next festival of plomar it was a triumph for the church and for the good cause i thought i would come at once to tell monsieur le marquis i know how anxious he is for the welfare of our country declared the priest wiping his face he was asked to stay for dinner 
the chauvains returning that evening after seeing their guests to the main gate of the park discussed the matter while they strolled in the moonlight trailing their long shadows up the straight avenue of chestnuts the marquis a royalist of course had been mayor of the commune which includes ploumar the scattered hamlets of the coast and the stony islands that fringe the yellowed flatness of the sands he had felt his position insecure for there was a strong republican element in that part of the country but now the conversion of jean pierre made him safe he was very pleased you have no idea how influential those people are he explained to his wife now i am sure the next communal election will go all right i shall be re-elected your ambition is perfectly insatiable charles exclaimed the marquise gaily but ma chérie amie argued the husband seriously it's most important that the right man should be mayor this year because of the elections to the chamber if you think it amuses me end of the first part of the idiots